In the video that we just watched here, uh, of course, you know, getting ready, I watched this several times, and every time I found myself asking the question, did she sign up for that mission trip or not? You know, it doesn't really say, you know, uh, it was, we, we saw from the calendar, it was the last day to sign up, and she kept looking at that photograph above the, the calendar, at the top part of the calendar, and, and of the mission team, and you could kind of sense her longing, maybe God's urging for her to do this, uh, but maybe she was afraid. You know, that happens, right? Maybe she was afraid that um, she wouldn't have much to offer, or afraid that uh, she wouldn't be able to handle the third world conditions, or afraid that maybe she didn't know how she'd get along with the rest of the team. Now, at one point, we see her on the phone. It's right before 5 o'clock, and the phone, I don't know whether she's picked up the phone or she answered it or she's making the call, uh, but I kind of wonder if she was calling to say, sign me up. And did you notice the last time when the the frame showed the, the mission team? And then it zoomed in, and you could see lying there on the ground was a present. Remember, bright red. I don't know if you noticed it. Look in the future videos we're going to see during this series for the red package to, to appear with a big bow on it. It's like this mission trip was a gift from God waiting to be opened. Uh, by the way, we have a mission trip for uh, high school students coming up next year, and we're, we're thinking about the possibility of an adult trip to Costa Rica. Uh, the high school students going to Costa Rica we're thinking about another adult trip to Costa Rica next year, but we have to know if we're going to have enough, we'd have to enough people. So if you are interested or you just want to know more, contact our missions director, Don Stock, and we'll have that conversation. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to Costa Rica uh, for the mission trip, and as the day approached, I became more expectant, more looking forward to it. And so I, I got a, a passport. I hadn't had a passport since college. So I got a passport, and then we had, we had team meetings. Uh, one night at one of our team meetings, we, we packed these suitcases we'd gotten from Goodwill. We, we loaded them full of supplies that we were taking. So everybody had two suitcases, one with your stuff, and then with a, a bag for supplies. And uh, another meeting we had, Larissa Knudsen came and gave us pointers on Spanish. Things we were going to need to say, if we, or hope to be able to say. Uh, well, it, it was a comfort to me knowing that I would know how to ask for the banyo. You know? <laughs> and, and then uh, when the day came, you know, we all drove to Epley and we, we waited there at the airport. And then our flight came, we boarded, and we flew to Denver. And of course, we had to wait some more then. But that was okay. We waited with expectation because we were on the verge of an adventure. And then we boarded another plane and we flew overnight to San Jose. We arrived early in the morning, but surprisingly, we weren't all that tired. Right, Larry? Because we were, we were so excited. We had such great anticipation and expectation about being there. And uh, fortunately, our, our host... Uh, Carlos Mestire recognized that we'd been up all night or most of us hadn't slept all that well on the flight so we, we had a very restful morning before we started the day's work but all of that building up we were increasing our expectation we were becoming more expectant 
Uh, you know, I think about more recently, I was expectant about Thanksgiving. Were you? Yeah, and, and uh, it did not disappoint. We, uh, Thanksgiving is the only holiday that my parents still host and, and, uh, in our family, and, and uh, mom made a fabulous meal, and Trish made a couple of pecan pies, and somebody else brought some peca- uh, pumpkin pies. My job was to keep stirring mom's gravy, <laughs> which I did dutifully for 45 minutes. I take gravy seriously. <laughs> Gravely, in fact. Yeah? Okay. I, I got a moan. I was glad for that. All right. But what, okay, so we look forward to Thanksgiving, but what about Christmas? You know, sometimes I wonder, because Christmas can be so much work, so much stress. Sometimes Christmas brings up these feelings of, 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 uh, painful loss, hurtful memories, they, they, they start to, to pop up again, and, and, and we, but we know we have to because it's better to face those feelings than to try to hide them. And yet, in spite of all that, I hope that there's something about Christmas that we can all look forward to, each one of us. Maybe for you, it's the idea of a gift that you want to give. You have picked out something. You are going to give this person. You are so excited about it. And that's just something you look forward to. I remember a few years ago, uh, I had something in mind for my daughter. And so I went to a, one of those places where you paint your own pottery. You paint the pottery. And so I had to go a couple of times. And, and I'm not much of an artist, but, you know, so it's kind of kindergartenish. But that was okay. I, I painted, you know, this mug for her. And uh, I was so excited to give that to her on Christmas. And, and maybe for you that you're excited because uh, you're expectant because there's a family member coming that you haven't seen in a long time. Or maybe there's a new baby in the family coming from out of town you haven't seen. Uh, or maybe you're looking forward to the Christmas pageant or our Christmas Eve services. Uh, maybe you're looking forward to going to, to a, a concert or go, to go caroling or maybe to see your favorite Christmas movie that you watch every year. And then a thought came to me I don't know that I'd ever thought of before. Does God look forward to Christmas? Does God look forward to Christmas? I don't know. But I wonder if maybe God sees all that we've kind of layered and put on top of Christmas that maybe it's a little deflating. Maybe, maybe God feels like he's pushed aside at Christmas time. And do you ever wonder if maybe when you see all the mess that this world is in, if you wonder if maybe part of it's because we've, we've pushed God aside for so long. One of the most somber passages in the Bible is in the book of Genesis. Uh, it's, you know, generations after Cain murdered his brother, you know, the humans multiply and they multiply, and, and so does their, their violence and their evil toward one another. Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, tell us what God saw and what God felt. It says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted. Isn't that a 
Isn't that a powerful word? The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. And if the Bible ended right there, how sad that would be, wouldn't it? You think that maybe God just decided, if the Bible just ended there, that God decided just to walk away, leave this earth behind, go start again on some other planet, hope for the best, and just leave us all to our wicked ways. But fortunately, the Bible does not end with Genesis 6, 6. God may have had regrets about us, but he does not give up on us. God set in plan a motion. He called Abraham and promised to make his descendants into a great nation that would, would bless all nations of the earth. And when Abraham's descendants were in trouble and they were enslaved in Egypt, God sent Moses to speak for him and to lead his people to a land of promise. And even with the setbacks in the following centuries, God did not give up. I'm going to ask you, if you would, please open your Bible to uh, Isaiah chapter 9, um, verse, starting with verse 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have two Bibles in front of you. Um, you'll find it on the page, bottom of page 687. And uh, as always, if you don't have a Bible at home that's readable, that you would want to read, then that pew Bible, take it home. It's yours, you can have it, you can read it at home, you can bring it with you to worship, but then always just take it back home with you. You can write in it, do whatever you want to it. Uh, now, in the 8th century B.C., uh, Isaiah prophesies of a coming ruler who is human and yet more than human. It says, you could follow along, for to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, isn't that kind of a surprising word to see there, the government? The government will be on his shoulders. So, meaning he will lead us, he will establish his kingdom on the earth. And then see the names that, that he is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. So, right there, we see more than human. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This was God's plan to send a ruler who would save us from ourselves and establish justice and righteousness and peace. And then going on to verse 7, and in the Pew Bible, let's flip over to the next page. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Then, Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Zeal. Zeal means passion. It's deep emotion. God is fervently and fanatically coming to win us back. Now, Looking at the verse before, in verse 6 that we, we started with, probably most of us are familiar with that from Handel's Messiah. Do you know that one? You, you, know, that, you know how that goes? Uh, you know, it starts real lightly, but with energy and movement. For unto us a child is born. You know that one? Unto us da, 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 a son is given. And then it really starts to ramp up. And I won't really attempt to sing it, but it goes something like this. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Right? Yeah. It gets worse, so don't clap now. And so, so the, the government is just going you, you feel the, the intensity. And so a child is born, a son is given, he will govern, he will rule, and you, you feel the zeal. When the music builds, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I can't read that verse without hearing Handel. Can you? I mean, it just, it just, the chorus just starts blasting in my brain. But that's Christmas. All of God's hope and expectancy came to a resounding crescendo at the arrival of Jesus. After centuries of pregnant waiting, the time had come. Luke's gospel starts with an elderly couple whose desire for children had faced great disappointment. They re yet they remain faithful to God. Elizabeth, though, she's realistic. She knows that menopause means there's no hope for becoming a mother. But God is full of surprises. Elizabeth is now expecting. When she's about six months along, her unmarried teenage uh, cousin comes to visit. Uh, Mary's probably not yet showing, but as soon as Elizabeth sees her, she knows. There's a miracle inside that maiden. Mary's child will be the Lord. And Elizabeth's baby does a somersault to celebrate. And these two miraculous pregnancies begin the gospel with a sense of expectancy. God is doing something that was foretold, but is still unforeseen. This morning, I want to give you three things. A question, a prayer, and a statement. And I hope you'll write them down in your bulletin. I hope you'll take them home. I hope you'll look at them tonight, later, maybe talk about them with your family, bring them to your group, if you're in a group. A question, a prayer, and a statement. Here's the question. What if we began to see Advent like pregnancy, a time of expectation? Will you say that with me? What if we began to see Advent like pregnancy, a time of expectation? You know, all this fall, I've been feeling something. Not pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like God has been increasing my expectations, preparing something new in me, and I've been learning more about a way of praying that's really as old as the Scriptures. Uh, for example, in the Bible, uh, Hannah, there's an episode where she is praying at the temple. And, and one of the priests there uh, kind of looks down on her, you know, like, who is this lady babbling on like she's drunk? And Hannah says, I'm not drunk. I haven't been drinking. I am pouring out my soul to the Lord. 
And I thought, you know, that's, that's how I want to pray. I don't know if anybody's ever accused me in the past of, of praying and thinking, I think he's drunk, you know? But uh, maybe once in a while that wouldn't be so bad. That's how I want to pour out my soul to the Lord. During the time of John Wesley in England and Jonathan Edwards in America, it was all, this kind of prayer was often called travailing prayer. And the word travail brings to mind a woman going through labor. So in travailing prayer, we don't just say our prayers. We pour out our souls. And so, in the last several months, I've been experimenting in my own prayer time, some of the time anyway, with this, with this kind of travailing prayer. And I would confess, probably I'm a little more timid than travailing, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking some steps. And, and uh, sometimes I pray with words, sometimes silently, and sometimes I feel like it's just a moan or a groan. And what are we praying about? What, what, what's our purpose in praying, in travailing prayer? Well, usually it's about crying out to God for a great spiritual awakening in our land where many people come to hunger for God and to find salvation in Christ. We pray for an awakening in our churches that, that we would experience more of God's grace and power. And I pray for an awakening in me. Let those glowing embers be fanned into a consuming flame. You know, the great movements of God throughout the centuries have been preceded by times of people in travailing prayer. In American history, these were called the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. And they were accompanied by people who were committed, pouring out their souls to God. And today there are people, there's a growing movement of people who are praying for a Third Great Awakening it has not yet happened. It breaks my heart to say it, but compared to when I was first a pastor, I believe there is more resistance to the gospel now in this country. Fewer people are looking to Christ, and even far fewer are looking to the church as a place to nurture that faith. Many of us have experienced a, a child or a grandchild walk away from the faith, reject the church. And maybe, we, maybe we're partly to blame. Maybe there's things we need to examine about ourselves and repent of as a church, as Christians. But I also see a cynical, subversive influence in our culture. In some ways, I think we're becoming more like the first century Roman Empire in their culture. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, and he's not talking about God, he's talking about the evil one, uh, the, the deceiver, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. A veil of deception has blinded their minds it hardens their hearts. It makes them resistant to God. And I have come to believe that only when Christians pour out our souls in prayer will we see that veil of deception begin to lift. 
may take years of prayer. It may take decades. But the more that we travail, the more we prevail. And we will see that dial move in our culture from resistance to receptivity. So we're starting a a monthly prayer gathering on the first Tuesday evening of every month. So we're going to meet on Tuesday, December 6th at 6.30 in our chapel upstairs. There's information printed in your bulletin about it, so when you take that home, you'll have that. And it'll last between 45 and 60 minutes. Everyone's invited, and we're going to pray for an awakening in our country. We're going to pray for an awakening in this city. We're going to pray for an awakening in our church and an awakening in ourselves. We are going to pray with pregnant expectation for God to do what only God can do. If you join us a week from Tuesday, there's not going to be any pressure on you to pray out loud if that's not where you are at that moment. Some of us will pray out loud, but there will also be times of silence. And we're going to pray because God is beginning to lay a burden on us. And, and maybe we'll also pray for God to give us that burden. I said that I had a question, a prayer, and a statement. Well, here's the prayer. Oh God, let something new be birthed in me this Christmas. What if we began to pray that at home by ourselves or with our families? What if we began to pray that in our groups? Oh God, let something new be birthed in me, in us, this Christmas. But I can tell you nothing new is going to happen if we just go through December the way we always have. Nothing's going to happen if it's just, you know, Christmas as usual at our house, in our lives. Same shopping, same parties, same crammed, crazy calendars. You know, one thing you can do differently is to pick up a copy of our Advent devotional. Um, We've got a whole table of them out there in the foyer as you walk out here. Um, And the first reading is for today. And the last reading is on Christmas Day. And it's going to follow this series under wraps. Um, and uh, there's, a, there's a donation you can leave out there, but most of all, we want you to have one. If you are going to use this and read this, and, you know, we're going we're gonna to miss a day or two here or there. That's all right. We'll catch up. But mostly we want to make this a part of our, let this really sink in and become a part of our lives and how we think and live and pray in Advent and preparing for Christmas. So, and if you're in a group, I encourage you to, to really, really spend some time talking through what you're reading and, and praying together, Lord, what are you trying to birth in us? You know, there, there's a whole world of possibilities God might lead you out to if we're not blind to them. Oh, Lord, lift that veil. Help us to see what you see. So, We've had a question and a prayer and now a statement. We expect different things, or excuse me, when we expect different things, 
we experience different things. Let's say that together, shall we? When we expect different things, we experience different things. So what do you expect? If we expect little, we will experience little. But if we take, our, if we take the time to open ourselves to the wonder and mystery of God, who knows what could happen? One of the things that I like most about Christmas is that it all starts with God. Christmas is not a human project. It's not about new medical fertility methods. It's not about shepherds getting together and saying, hey, let's just take the night off. Let's go into town and look for babies, huh? It wasn't that. Christmas is about God stepping into our story wrapped in human flesh. It's about God keeping his promise to send us a ruler to rescue us and restore us. Jesus has come to reign in justice and righteousness and peace. We didn't plan it. We didn't strategize for it. It was all God. That's Christmas. That's the wonder of Christmas. And God is eager for you to experience a spiritual birth. Maybe you know all about celebrating Christmas. You've been doing it all your life. But do you know the one whose birth we celebrate? Do you know him? You, you, you're probably really good at putting up lights inside your house, outside your house. But is his light shining in you? God is expectantly waiting for you to come home. Come on home. What if this year you say, okay, I know my heart's been a little hard because of what I've been through and all the things that have happened to me and I've been kind of resistant. But I'm going to set that aside and be expectant and open to what God might have for me this year. Will you let your heart be, in a sense, a manger, a receptive place for Him? And I want you to know that I am praying for you. I know that God has led a number of you here who know that you're at that resistant point. But I'm praying for you that there'll be an awakening in your life. And many people are praying for you. All it takes is a little openness a little willingness to expect something new. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we confess that we're, we've been a part of this resistance and, uh, or we just sort of become numb to everything and we just sort of go life along our own way and not really paying attention, not really living with any kind of expectation, uh, expectancy about, about life, about life with you. And so, Lord, we pray that you will break through. Let there be a spiritual birth in us. 
Let there be a great awakening in us and in our church and in this land. Oh, Lord, we, we pray that you will, we will see many people find that inner healing that only you can bring. Lord, thank you for keeping your promise, dear God, and for sending us Jesus. Jesus, we open our lives to you right now. We say, come on in. Make your home in me. I need you, Lord. Come and save me. Lord, we pour out our souls before you, and we know that you hear us. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.